good afternoon, good evening, and good night. You are listening to Always Be Watching. This is our weekly podcast that, look, let's be honest, this is the next stage of your evolution. My name's Dan Barrett, and joining me is Chris Yates. Hi, Dan. I'm good, man. How are you? We're going to talk about TV shows. That's what we do on a podcast. We've done that successfully two or three times, and then for the other 55 episodes... We've also attempted to do so. But this week... We've tried. We've tried our best. <laughs> and that's all people can ask for. It's a free podcast. Totally. If you want better quality, if you want us to put in the effort, <laughs> pay up some money. <laughs> Fair yeah, enough. I'm all about the capitalism. Just call me Joe Capitalism. What about Dan Capitalism? Dan Capitalism. Nah, it's got to be Joe. <laughs> okay, Joe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, this week on the Always Be Watching... And that's always with dollar signs as, instead of S's. <laughs> yes, of course. And the Always Be Watching podcast, um, sponsored by our good friends, uh, Philip Morris. We're going to be talking about TV. We're going to do some reviews. Chris Yates, you got a, like a sterling movie you're going to talk about. And a actually, it's another feature of sorts. What are you talking I about? Got, I, got, I got two movies to talk about. Um, I'm going to discuss The Beastie Boys Story on Apple TV. And I'm going to discuss the... Um, the film Starship Troopers. That is a 1997 movie? The 1997 Starship Troopers, not to be confused with any of the... Um... Oh, I think so. I thought you were telling me I was um, regretting not having looked it up. That was a dot, dot, yes, dot, question No, no, you got it. Mm. You were all over it. Yeah. Um, not to be confused with any of the other... Starship Troopers, which which may be fine. I don't know. I don't know. But yes, I'll be discussing them. What are you going to be talking about, Dan? Look, I've got two things I want to discuss. Both brand new things. I'm going to talk about Normal People, which is a brand new relationship uh, dramedy that's coming out of the UK, and that's aired on BBC Three during the week. And as we're recording this on a Wednesday, Tuesday evening, I believe it debuts in about oh 38 hours on Hulu in the US. So we're a bit ahead mm. of the US on that one. But then Chris wow. Upload, it starts on Amazon on the 1st of May. And let me tell you, both shows, absolute corkers. But Chris, first of all, can we talk about a little show? Well, it's a movie, uh, Beastie Boys. What's the actual name of the film? Called Beastie Boys Story. Okay, Chris Yates, I'm not like particularly conversant in the ways of the Beastie Boys, but I saw the trailer for this and I got pretty interested. What's the actual deal? So the deal behind this is um, Beastie Boys have hit a stage of their career. There's only two uh, remaining Beastie Boys out of the three still alive after the very sad, untimely death um, of Adam Yauch uh, a number of years ago. And in over the last few years, Beastie Boys have been documenting their history um, via a very extensive book that they, they then did this really cool audio book version of it that had all these different people reading from it, um, including a bunch of sort of New York personalities, uh, which was amazing. Rosie Perez read one of the chapters, which you can imagine how good that that is. Um, amongst other people sort of in their universe. And then um, so it culminated, I guess, in this uh, live stage show, which is the guys kind of talking through what is essentially a documentary tracing their career, uh, but presented as sort of a live, I heard it derisively called a live PowerPoint presentation. So in a way, this is kind of like a live, uh, like sort of a concert film of sorts, but it's really just two of the Beastie Boys on stage talking their way through their history. Is that right? Yeah, so it kind of comes across like a stand-up special or like a, um, something like that where they're thrown to the clips and the clips are, um, you know, on the screen behind them in front of the audience. I think it, it, it appears to be kind of cut together out of a few days. Um, it's a really interesting format because other than the 
the weird aspect of them being sort of live on stage. It's a pretty traditional documentary, but um, having us filming the stage show kind of, I don't know, gives it a bit of light and it, it certainly gives it a very much a sense of time um, that it's coming out, if you know what I mean. Like it's, it's obvious when it's happening um, in a way that maybe isn't quite so uh, obvious with a lot of other documentaries. Does it give um, it an energy as well? So, I mean, these are performers who are used to playing off the live of. crowd. <laughs> yeah, sort of. Like, I, I, I don't know how they're in a funny situation. Like these guys are, have, um, you know, been obviously they've been sort of doing shows since they were in their early teens and, um, got massive quite early on. And then, um, had a period of, uh, you know, looking at themselves, figuring out what they were doing and then a big sort of resurgence in the nineties, um, 10 years after their initial kind of explosion. So it was, um, you know, they, they, they have had this sort of long history of playing shows and stuff, but they haven't done it for quite a long time. And I think part of it, it seemed like part of it might've been about them wanting to get back out there and actually, you know, feel a bit of vibe off a crowd wanting to do it that way. Um, I haven't even mentioned this directed, written, produced by Spike Jones, who's obviously used the book as source material. Um, and if you've read the book or listened to the audio book, then you're, you're across the story. You know what I mean? There's not a lot of new stuff. There's not a lot of new insights really brought to the table. It's, it's a much more condensed version of that kind of experience. Um, and, but yeah, and I guess like it well, was so I mean, interesting it's seeing mentioning uh, Spike Jones as well. Uh, he's done like what three or four of their music videos, including Sabotage, yes. which is probably the iconic. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And um, and there was there was some great stuff about that. One of the things that I found kind of interesting that didn't come across, I guess, in the other mediums quite so much is that uh, Adam Yauch, the um, member of the Beastie Boys, who's passed away, he was actually he had this like ridiculous pseudonym called Nathaniel Hornblower, who was allegedly <laughs> yeah. his um his his uncle from um switzerland and uh, a long long removed yalk uncle from switzerland and and he would direct all the videos so but basically what that meant was you know yalk was really interested in technology and stuff so he was um you know he had very early video cameras and was really into lighting and really just you know he was a, he was a content maker way back before that was a thing by any means and you know really love the machines and stuff so he filmed all their early videos which um is is interesting in the context of this when you look at then spike jones putting it together who's uh who made their videos who sort of took over from them he made the sabotage video as you said but it was very much in the style of the nathaniel hornblower um method which was just they just went out on the streets and did it you know they didn't get permits and any of that kind of stuff they just kind of chucked on stupid clothes and um, started filming themselves. So it was cool seeing that visual uh, representation and reminder of that kind of thing. Um, and, you know, Spike, but I guess what I was going to go with Spike Jones before is, you know, he's a very interesting filmmaker and he's made heaps of video clips um, for really interesting artists, but he's made some really great films like being John Malkovich and um, you'll tell me another film he made, Where the Wild Things Are was weird as hell. Like he's, he's a really, you know, he makes bizarre films. So um, to see him do something, it was it's so it's played so straight, and that was pretty. I found that pretty weird, actually, about it. Um, What's kind of interesting about Spike Jones? I was thinking about him as a because I, I loaded up the Spike Jones filmography just because I wasn't sure how many clips he actually did for the Beastie Boys. I knew it was a handful, but like you know, I don't know, it was like three or four. Uh, going through, like, I was thinking about him as a filmmaker and looking at just, like, all the, like, really notable film clips that he did along the way. So, things like, uh, there was the couple of Weezer clips, so Buddy Holly and Undone, 
pretty sure was another one that he did the clip for. Yeah, yeah. The- yeah, the thing about those, um, it's also quiet. The Bjork song, uh, what else just jumped out at me? Uh, Cannonball, the Breeders' track. He did track. the Daft Punk. Yeah, he did the first Daft Punk one, which was the, you know, the Dogs in the Street. Like, yeah, the, yeah he Feel did the Pain, the Dinosaur Junior track. Extremely iconic videos for a bunch of people around that period. But yeah, but, it just um, kind of feels like in the 1980s, MTV was just dominated by like David Fincher. And then through the 90s, it's Spike Johns. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And um, so to see him sort of do something so straight was was interesting, I thought. But it is also, uh, you know, they are also just tell it, trying to tell this story and trying to give um, uh, trying to give Adam Yuck some pay, pay their respects to Adam Yuck. Definitely, look, mm. it's fantastic. I think you know, as a as a massive nerd on the Beastie Boys, I was a bit um, that was I was a bit, and I've only recently read the book, so I felt like I probably should have given myself a little break because I was hearing the stories and I watched a lot of footage and stuff. Um, Adam Horowitz did a lot of interviews at the time that it came out. So I watched him kind of go over some of these moments again already. But, um, you know, f- for a casual person, uh, for a casual fan or even just somebody interested in that kind of stuff, or even, you know, if you know a fair, if you know a bit, but not like haven't just read the book, then I think it'd be a fascinating kind of way to learn about them and um, their place in, in, in music history. And, you know, especially it's kind of coming from New York in the 80s when everything was really... Uh, there's no no more exciting place in the world to be for music then. So to see them sort of come out of there and what they and and get corrupted by the industry and then sort of turn it around and take it all on on their own terms, it's a great story. Yeah, see, Fantastic I know stuff. I know so little about the Beastie Boys, but I've been meaning to check this out because I feel this is a great primer. Absolutely, yeah, you'll get a lot out of it, I think. And you know, you'll be there's a lot of sort of like holy holy cow moments that I won't go into, but. Um, especially the early days uh, and you know it's funny watching how they've um there's a there's a slight air of kind of apologizing for their past about it and also um I, I don't know they're very much aware of their kind of uh frat boy beginnings and um how they managed to sort of turn that around and uh, I mean, it's worth considering you know, they are smart guys who are all in their what like fifties like late fifties at this yeah. point yeah. Yeah, that's right. So they've had a lot of time to reflect and, um, you know, they, they said some pretty crass, stupid stuff for attention at the beginning. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, you know, so it's like, yeah, they had to make amends. But to see how they kind of came out of that and, you know, turned themselves into this force for good um, in the 90s uh, during that massive explosion of alternative music is really, is really, really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I hi- highly recommend it. It's, you know, a great, yes, fantastic film. And streaming uh, now on, on Apple TV? Yes, on the Apple TV. Yeah. My- Finally something good on there. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a few good things in there. Uh, so my understanding oh, was that it was a feature film that was intended to play in cinemas for a couple of weeks before debuting on Apple TV. But obviously because of the stupid virus, we're now just seeing it purely on Apple TV. It's just another way that I'm a winner from the virus, Dan. <laughs> just another way. Just keep ticking those boxes. <laughs> Chris, can I talk? Um, okay. Yeah. Yes. You should talk about a television show that you've been watching. I'll give you, uh, uh, just based on your little blurb at the beginning, mm. one of these I'm really interested in. One of them I'm not interested in at all. I'll, I'm sure you can guess which, but I'll, I'm interested to see which one you'll start with. Okay. Let us start with the one that I'm 99% sure is the one that you do not give two hoots about. It is the <laughs> show that is highly anticipated by like literary people across the globe. It's a TV show called Normal People. Now, Chris, I'm correct in assuming this is the show you do not care about. You're correct in that. Although then you kind of made it sound like a diss, like I'm a non-literary <laughs> person just because I, you know, 
don't read books and stuff. Yeah. It's really unfair the way that people accuse you of not being a literary person just because you don't read books. <laughs> yeah, it's unreal. I do read books, Dan. Anyway, yes, go on. Tell me about this boring show. Okay. So, Normal People, based on a book by Sally Rooney. This came out a couple of years ago, and when it did, uh, Sally Rooney was a second novel, and she's seen as like one of these sort of young wonderkind writers. So I think she was maybe 27 when the book came out, and it was only about two or three years ago now, so I think she's 29, 30. So she's still very young. She's got this book, and the book is about these uh, two teenagers. They meet in high school. One of them's a sort of fairly popular um, sort of jockish sort of a character, and the other one's a very um, uptight, quiet, and reserved um, teenage girl. Uh, she comes of, she's sort of from money, like not a huge excess of money, but for the small Irish um, area that they're living in, like, you know, they can afford a maid. So anyway, so, sure. so she's off that level. <laughs> more money than I've got. Exactly. Yeah, more yeah. money than you and I have put together, but still not really yeah. like a massive sort of excess of wealth by any means. So she's uh, essentially the family maid is the mother of the male lead in the show. So you're looking at uh, two people who operate on different levels of power. While the guy has social currency, um, he doesn't really have financial currency to his life. Meanwhile, she's a woman of means, but also doesn't really have any sort of social um, life whatsoever. So because there's the entry point where the mother's sort of working there, uh, the guy comes to pick up the mother from work every couple of days. And so he'll drive her home. But when they do, like there's an opportunity for the two of them to you know, have a bit of a brief chat. Because he's Mr. Popularity and she's not, it's always a stills of conversation. There's never really much going on, but she's got a bit of a thing for him. Uh, as the story happens, uh, he is more than happy to sleep with her every, you know, afternoon or so. So hot, tawdry sex in the afternoon. Uh, just, you know, right. like every day. Like think back to your high school experience. It's exactly the same. Oh, I'm sure. yeah, yeah. Yeah. Totally. So he's happy to sleep with her, but he doesn't want to tell his friends or let anyone at school know that he even communicates with her, let alone is sleeping with her on a regular basis. Um, over Typical. the course of 12 episodes, uh, they have, um, you know, they have their little affair, um, it all falls apart, they find each other again through university, and it's about their relationship as years change and develop and as they change and develop as people. I've not read the book. I've only seen the first three episodes of it. And here's the thing. I think it might be unfair to really look at this from just three episodes. So I found myself watching it and I was into it because the performances from both of the leads are really quite like compelling. Like it's a very sort of gorgeously shot show. The relationship is interesting enough to keep going with it. But I get this feeling as someone who hasn't read the book, who is trying to watch this on an episodic basis, that when I think about it as a 12 episode run in total, I'll look back at it going, you know what? This was a fantastic ride. I'm glad I went on this emotional journey with these characters. But watching it episodically, I can't help but feel that I just don't really... I'm, I'm not fully enriched by every installment as it goes along. I think this is probably yeah, yeah. like a great sort of Saturday, Sunday afternoon. I'm just going to sit down and watch like seven or eight episodes back to back. And it's probably going to like pack quite a wallop if I watched a huge chunk at once. But I've only had the chance in the last few days just to watch an episode at a time. And it's found, it's like I'm finding it a little bit of a hollow experience. But also my other issue is, is that because this is based on a literary work as opposed to being a story in its own right, 
these there's like a couple of gaps that are missing so i kind of understand exactly why he's into her because i've been a dirtbag teenage boy in my past as well and so like i can relate to that but i don't understand Mm. what she's interested in him for i'm sure that within the book there's probably explanations about what she sees in him and what it is that sort of uh, presses all of her buttons but from the show like he just sort of seems like a bit of a dick and there's no sort of redeeming aspect to it. It's like, why him is a question that the show itself doesn't really quite answer. And yeah, right. three episodes in, I'm like, okay, I kind of get the charm of this guy. But from her perspective, I don't think she would have seen that charm as it was presented within the first episode. <laughs> so I don't know. There's a little bit of a gap there and it doesn't quite work for me. And episode three kind of fell into that same thing I've got with almost every TV show I watch right now, which is why is this a TV show? What are you doing to actually make this an episodic experience as opposed to yeah. making it a movie? I hate it when they say, oh, it's really just like a nine hour movie. The thing is, I don't actually really ever want to watch a nine hour movie. I'd like to watch <laughs> it. Way too long. I get like, you know, two and a half hours is probably about the cap for what I really want from most movies. After that, if you're doing a TV show, I want to say it as a TV show. And that doesn't mean that you have to have, like, it doesn't have to feel like a Quinn Martin production from the 1970s with like car chases and stuff through it. But there needs to be just an episodic nature that keeps you wanting to watch it. Like you think back to say something like say Weeds, which is a show that popped up yeah, on my yeah. screen a couple of days ago. So it's been fresh of mind recently. You watch that and it's a story that's told over the course of 12, 13 episodes, but it's very episodic in nature. And so by the end of the season, you've got a really sort of good feeling for what the arc of the story was. And if it was just capped totally. off at the end of that season, it's a very fulfilling, rich, nourishing experience of the season. Some would say it should have been <laughs> capped off at the end of the first season. I don't know, three seasons. And I think I would have been very comfortable with Weeds. Unfortunately, it yeah. went to, what, seven seasons? Eight yeah, it seasons? went way too long. Yeah. Far too long. But it's interesting what you say about the, um, yeah, the, there must be this temptation with a book of chapters to uh, you know to try and break each chapter down into its own episode and stuff oh, but those rhythms those rhythms don't necessarily work when you're trying to be you know get motivated to watch another episode of a TV show like you, you know and, and a lot of the really great um, binge watching shows do this really well you know some of them just really uh, obviously and heavy handedly but it still works where you know the way they tease out the story over that hour and then give you everything at the in the last kind of 15 minutes so that you're sticking around and excited for the next one yeah it might not you know it's obviously not as easy to do that when you've got this kind of like pre-constructed um story taking a very different pace and path exactly which isn't say that every episode isn't episodic because it certainly is episodic it takes a chapter and a moment from their life but at the same time and this might be just the crushing weight of knowing that this is a beloved book that actually has like literary merit to it it kind of feels like maybe it's like Again, I haven't read the book and I don't actually have a pre-existing attachment to it, but I come into it knowing that it has this weight behind it and this knowledge that it is an emotional journey that it really does take you on. And I'm sure by the end of this 12 episodes, I'm going to be just completely smitten with it and just trying to tell you, Chris, Chris, give the show a look. I think you're going to love Mm -hmm. it. But it is just rough going at the moment because it doesn't feel like a complete hole yet. But anyway, it's it's interesting. I think that if you yeah. are willing to go with a relationship drama with, you know, comedic moments along the way, it's a really sort of, it's a solid watch. So um, you've got the cast of it. And look, I, I didn't really know either of the main leads up until I watched this. And there's no supporting actors that were really jumping out as people that I know. But Daisy Edgar Jones, who's the main uh, female lead in it, Marianne, like she is 
completely compelling on screen. Like I haven't been this taken with a character, well, an actor on a TV show so immediately in some time. Paul Meskel though, who plays the dude, uh, Connell, I don't know. I'm just not feeling it. And maybe it's just the casting of him, but like, I'm just not, I don't understand what it is that she finds so uh, compelling about him from the beginning. And maybe look, if I was into dudes, like maybe I'd just get it. But like, I'm just watching it and I just can't feel it. And I don't really quite feel that chemistry between them, at least at the outset. Like a couple of episodes in, like I can sense the bond between them. And both of them are just like outstanding actors as well, which is really selling it. But like just that sort of animal magnetism aspect at the very beginning of their relationship, I don't get it in the slightest. Yeah, maybe it's more of a um, slow burn. Oh, look, it's absolutely a slow burn. You know, um which is all you can hope for sometimes in life. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, um, all right. That's it. It sounds good. Yeah. So kind of. set an Island. Uh, it's a BBC three production with Hulu putting a fair bit of money into what I believe. Uh, so it'll debut on Hulu later this week. Although by the time this podcast is out with me and my lazy editing ways, um, you know, it'll be probably out by a couple of days by that point, but it's the show that everyone's <laughs> talking about right now. And I think with good merit with uh, deserved merit, because it's a good show, very much worth a watch, but there are aspects to it where I haven't bought in entirely. Uh, you know, something that nobody's talking about at the moment at all. But something that I have bought into entirely, and I'm very enthused that you want to talk about it. <laughs> the 1997 classic <laughs> sci-fi extravaganza, uh, Starship Troopers. I said that in a weird way then, Starship Troopers. I don't, think, I don't know if that's the correct way to You should emphasize. have said it, Starship Troopers. Um, the Paul, Paul Verhoeven, we've spoken at length on this podcast about our uh, appreciation of the cinematic works of Paul Verhoeven. Um, and of course, Starship Troopers can be looked at as one of kind of a little bit of a trilogy there with Total Recall and Robocop being his um, main forays into science fiction and um, just beautiful, perfect films, all three of them. We're just going to talk about Starship Troopers. How long has it been since you've seen Starship Troopers, Dan? Okay. I've seen Starship Troopers within the last four days. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> That's very good. But uh, also, yeah. completely coincidentally, I also watched Total Recall like a week ago. So I've watched ah. both of those recently. Uh, Robocop I've seen within the last year or so, so it's suddenly fresh of mine. But yeah, I watched Total Recall and I hadn't seen that like for well over a decade. And I have to say, Starship Troopers totally holds up, completely entertaining movie. Total Recall I actually found a bit of a chore to watch. It's a bit hard going in places, isn't it? Yeah, I remember that too. I haven't watched it for, for a few years, but mm. um, I was expecting that going into... Um, I was expecting that going into Starship Troopers that it might not uh, have the same, um, you know, that I, that I might not be able to consume it with the same level of glee and bubblegum kind of trash that I did the first time around. But no, I was pleasantly surprised <laughs> that it was, yes, every bit as entertaining as it's always been. Um, can you do a, do you want me to do a synopsis on Starship Troopers? Yeah, yeah, sure. Is, is I mean, necessary? You're, you're doing the thing. I'm doing the thing. So there's um, these... So it's basically Beverly Hills 90210 at the beginning. <laughs> yeah. And then, except it's set in the future. And, 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 and not these, in Beverly Hills. And not in Beverly Hills. But there's these giant um, um, bugs on a planet that have worked out how to uh, shoot their eggs into the galaxy um, and, and, and send them vast distances in order to um, uh, populate the world with their horror 
uh, and take over planets and stuff. And um, we are treated to these three young people who are about to go off on very different journeys in the military. Um, one as a pilot, um, the fantastic Denise Richards, uh, who never really topped her performance in Starship Troopers, I don't think. But, uh, you know, excuse me. Have you not seen Wild Things? <laughs> Oh, yeah, Wild Things is pretty good, but anyway. Um, <laughs> yeah. The, um, be next. I'll talk about Wild Things next week. Also, um, I believe she did play uh, Dr. Christmas Jones in, what was the Bond film? Uh, the World Is Not Enough? Oh, yeah, right. Because all it's of the good, Bond girls have like some name. sort of uh, sexy sort of name. And you may wonder, Christmas Jones, why is that? Uh, it's because she only comes once a year. Ah, yes, of course. Uh, well, that's not very sexy, though, is it? It's kind of the opposite. But anyway, um, and then also so in Chris, the movie think about how much Dougie. joy you feel at Christmas. <laughs> uh, also in the movie is Doogie Howser. Um, he goes on to he goes on to become a Nazi scientist somehow. I'm not totally all sure. All Nazis it, it, throughout the film. They're all Nazis, I guess. And then um, the um, other guy who's handsome. I haven't. I didn't write his name down, and I don't really care what it is. He never did any other movies anyway. <laughs> And he is a grunt in the military. You know, he becomes a uh, the the um, ground force. Um, the words escaping me. Uh, infantryman, um, and we, so so we get to see the war against the bugs told through these three different um, three different friends who eventually, of course, meet up and go off on their own little journeys as well. Also, you f- you forget um, the fourth character, Dizzy. Oh yeah, Dizzy. And then there's another person. Well, because um, she loves Johnny Rico, the infantry man. Okay, but he's only got eyes yeah. for Denise Richards, the sky captain. Man, but Dizzy's character is ridiculous. It's just like it's so un, it's, it's so unnecessary. But anyway, yes, of course, she is in there. As I well. love Dizzy. I think um, she's great. How dare you? Yeah. yeah. Anyway, it's just um, your classes that she's once she, again. No, no, no. She's she's great, but she doesn't really need to be there. Um, she doesn't do anything other than just like fought over Johnny and like just. Be she there gives the film the pathos that. because he's so close-minded mm. to the person that's clearly right for him, but he's busy chasing anyway, the dream um, of something that's unattainable because it's outside of his class structure. So anyway, it, it's, it's a great it's a great ride. Um, the uh, one of the things that I wanted to mention is many years ago I saw a um, the DVD of it. Uh, there was a director's cut, and the director's cut was Paul Verhoeven, the director, and also um, one of the writers or producers for the film. I can't remember, but um, in this director's cut, Paul Verhoeven just wanted to talk about all the things that were special effects. And in that movie, there's quite a lot of things. So every time there was something that came on that was CGI, he would go like, oh, that, you know, you see that giant bug? That's not real. We did that with CGI. <laughs> and then like, as if he was explaining it to somebody who'd never seen a film before in their life and was like explaining the process of how computer graphics are made. And then the writer kept trying to like get little anecdotes out of him and stuff. He's like, oh, but what, what was it like on that day? And he's like, oh, well, you know, there was just a green screen. And then we put all that stuff in later with the computer. It's amazing which I just found fascinating. He said it, it was very naive and charming and kind of just made me like Paul Verhoeven any, uh, even more. Um, how did it hold up against for you against the first time you saw it? Because I remember being blown away by it at the time. I thought it was going to be, you know, 
good and trashy, but uh, it, it exceeded my expectations. Look, I remember going to see this in the cinema when it came out. So it was like my final year of high school. And that's like the perfect age to go and see Starship Troopers. Perfect time. Yeah. yeah. So 97, saw it in the cinema. I'm surprised you didn't join the army. Oh, look, I was suddenly thinking about it because I just want to <laughs> kill some bugs. But yeah, saw the film, thought it was fantastic. And this was a film where it came out, the critics were not very kind to it at all. It sort of came and went, but it had like a cult following that came. So the people that connected to the movie and understood what the movie was doing, like were completely worshipping at the, you know, the altar of Starship Troopers. And I was certainly one of those people. So in the next couple of years, DVD started becoming a thing. So I certainly got Starship Troopers as soon as it was available on DVD. I also read the book, which apparently Paul Verhoeven, (laughs) he read like the first couple of pages of the book and thought it was boring. So put it down and you know, got on with his life. <laughs> Just made his own movie. Uh, but I've read the book and, you know, it's fine. It's it's not particularly that good, but, you know, it was kind of completion. Uh, so I saw that, but I've never bothered with any of the films that followed. So I think there was like another two or either. three like live action films. Uh, Johnny Rico, uh, the actual actor's name, I don't remember, but um, he came back for at least one of the films. Casper Van, really? Van Dien, that's the guy's name. Oh, is yeah. it? Yeah, right. He did see. He did do some other films. I shouldn't have written. Uh, he so did bad. not really though. Uh, but there was an animated show. It was like one of the first sort of CG TV shows called Roughnecks. Um, and oh, then there's yeah, like a right. few other like animated things around the place as well. It's a photo of him on Wikipedia from 2012. He's still very good looking in 2012. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me. But the thing that's probably worth uh, like paying attention to with this is that while, yes, we are seeing it as this like Beverly Hills 90210 meets um, like what even? Full Metal Jacket. jacket. Sure, we'll go with that. There's whole scenes ripped out of Full Metal Jacket. Yeah. yeah. Oh, but yeah. So Um, while that's certainly there, the perspective of it, because it's very much an allegory for um, like Hitler Youth to a certain degree. And so... Yes, yes, for sure. You are watching this from the perspective of all the characters are very much wearing uh, military-type vestments and it's a very militaristic society, much like Germany circa World War II. At a certain point, you have to realise, wait a sec, are we actually watching a movie starring the good guys? Because I think that we are watching yeah, a movie yeah, where yeah. the bugs are the good guys <laughs> and we're watching these terrible invaders who've done God knows what to rape and pillage their planets over the last however many years that this war's been raging for. Like, ultimately, you are watching a movie from the perspective of the the bad guys. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, which which definitely makes it uh, just, <laughs> just all the more ridiculous. Like, the, the levels of insane ridiculousness in his films are just... Uh, one of the reasons why, and they're quite often very distasteful. Like he, he's sort of like a far from somebody who plays it safe as far as that stuff goes. Yeah. What, um, what's sort of fun with this as well it, is that while the leads of the film are, you know, they are what they are. Uh, Neil Patrick Harris is kind of fun playing the scientist or the guy that eventually becomes a scientist. Of course he's fun. He's fun in everything. He's not in it very much, but when he's in it, boy, is he in it. Uh, there's that great moment, like the great line from the film, which is uh, he's talking to like this brain bug, which is like the bug that's kind of controlling all the other um, <laughs> aliens on the planet. And he's just like, it's a brain. Fantastic. Love that moment. It's a friend. It's a friend. That was a uh, but that was an awesome moment. In terms that of supporting cast, there's some really cool people on it. So Jake Busey, who we discussed on last week's show. Oh my god, Jake! He's so good in it? it too. He's actually really great in it. I thought he's fantastic. I really love his. He's he's got a great blend of like he does that sort of classic army doofus. Um, 
role really, really he well. He had a run for about two or three years where he was just really great. And when I say run, I'm thinking of literally two roles that he was in. Um, so he's Starship <laughs> Troopers and two years later, he was in Contact and has a really memorable role in that as well. Uh, but uh, So Jake Busey's there. You also have Rue McClanahan is in the scene. So Blanche from the Golden oh Girls. Oh my God. Uh, so she's one of the teachers. Yes, I remember that scene. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I didn't bother looking up to see if that was her, but I assumed it was because she's playing a we- she's got this kind of weird German, um, you know, uh, affectation yeah. and strange glasses and stuff happening. But yeah, she's wow, that is her. That's and fantastic. also the great Michael Ironside is their teacher who, like a couple mm. of years later, seems to be like an army sergeant. Yeah, he's fantastic in it too. Hey, I've just I've got what to talk about fantastic a little in bit it too. He's fantastic um, every time he's on screen. Of course, he's always fantastic. I've just been looking up Casper Van Diem and he's got some, there's some great jokes yeah. here. Um, uh, he, he debuted in Beastmaster 3, The Eye of Braxis. Question, um, was, that, wasn't long was between, that filmed on the Gold Coast in Australia? Oh, I reckon a whole bunch was, of Beastmaster was filmed on those, the Gold Coast. Yeah. Let's, let's, I'll check that just really quickly. Um, oh, <laughs> there's not enough also, information on Wikipedia to suggest that. While yeah. you were looking that up, uh, just a bit of um, cross sort of um, TV uh, casting here. The lead of the Beastmaster series, uh, his name was Mark something or other. Can't think of the dude's name. I just had it up here. It's um, Mark, Mark Singer. Singer. Uh, Mark Singer's other role that he was kind of known for was playing one of the characters in V if you remember that miniseries from the early oh, 80s. Oh, wow, yes. Yeah, which the second, uh, V, the final battle, which the um, three-part sequel miniseries, uh, starred Michael Ironside. It was like Oof. one of his first big roles. Nice and- I like how you brought that back around yeah. there. Um, he's also in the film Shark the Puss versus Whale Wolf. <laughs> yeah. Um, where he plays Ray. Um, he's in a film called uh, Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter sequels. Um, I'm not sure exactly what that's all about. He's in two straight. He's in two straight to um, video Starship Troopers sequels at least. He played. He played Patrick Bateman in the 2002 film The Rules of Attraction. Oh, he did uh, too. Spin-off yeah. Of, um, um, which is an interesting one. And then um, the fact we haven't talked about that film in this podcast yet is very surprising to me. I know. Interesting, right? And then, but yeah, anyway, he's got a great, there's, there's a bunch of other funny ones there, but I've, I feel like I've, but he's had a, he's had a great career. He's still making films, um, in 2019 at least. Yeah. So good on him. He's done a lot of television as well. Yeah. The, as you can imagine. The anyway, one thing I found watching Starship Troopers a couple of nights ago is the special effects in it were incredible for 1997. Oh, I absolutely agree. Like there was, see, there was, uh, there were things where I was just like, I couldn't, f- you wouldn't improve it. No, like there's still stuff in it. But there are certainly some scenes did- where it could be improved. The um, the actual space, you know, the the giant spaceships and stuff all look fantastic. All that kind of um, Star Wars style externals of all the spaceships. That's the stuff that actually looked fake to me. I thought the bugs on the planets were actually kind of cool. Some of the little, some of the little spaceships did, but I thought the big ones were. But the bugs, I think, look great, yeah. and I think they they did it sort of. They were smart enough to do it in a way that I think, you know, they were able to render them very well. Like they clearly thought about mm. that. Even the scenes where there's heaps and heaps of bugs, and you know, it's like they do that kind of shit all the time now, where they just digitally manipulate the crowds. But even those scenes look fantastic. I I, I couldn't agree more, especially considering some of the stuff that came out around the same time as it, which was very heavy-handed with the CGI and. Um, you know, it was a period where everything was over the top with 
with that sort of stuff. So yeah, they kind of did it in this surprisingly tasteful way. I felt for most of that film. Yeah, so, yeah. So um, Starship Troopers. Has it? Oh, ins- sorry. Has it inspired you to watch any of the Starship Troopers sequels? No. Do you think you'll go down that? No, absolutely not. Me neither. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, there's no need. Like, it's, it, the, everything I need to know about Starship Troopers is there in this film. I feel like it would be an insult to this film watching some of those sequels in some way. Yeah, like so, a slap across yeah, the face to Starship Troopers to watch any other Starship Troopers. Wait until next week when all I've got to talk about <laughs> is Starship Troopers two, and you'll be like, Ugh. "Look, I'm there for all it." All right, we're going to do that again, are we? Uh, which is called Starship Troopers. Uh, I, don't know, I don't know what the second one's called. The third one's called Marauder. He might not be in the second one. He must. I don't think he's in the second one. one. We've talked about it way too much. Um, Dan, you had another Sorry, show that you wanted to talk where can, about. Where can people watch it? Uh, I think I, I had to watch a DVD of Starship Troopers. And the good news is every single person in Australia has a DVD of Starship Troopers in their shelf. So if you don't have one in your house, go to your neighbours. It's not every person. It's about 50%. Um, and knock on a door or two and somebody will definitely have, even if they only have eight DVDs, one of them will be Starship Troopers. If you are an Australian or purport to be an Australian, you don't have a copy of Starship Troopers, you're actually not a citizen and you're no longer afforded <laughs> no, any that's rights. Right. That's right. That's how you look. That, that, that's, and that's conversely, that's all you've got to do to become a citizen mm. um, is just get yourself a copy of Starship Troopers on DVD or Blu-ray. That's not true. In Australia, you need two things. One, the copy of Starship Troopers on Blu-ray or DVD. And also, and it doesn't have to be fresh. Like it's probably got some dust on it, but the uh, board game test match, you need that somewhere in the household as oh, well. Yes. It needs to have a few pieces missing <laughs> uh, as well for it to be legit. Um, but Dan, you've, you've, uh, you're just holding me back when all I want to talk about is this show upload. All I want to hear you talk about is this. Tell us about okay, it. Okay. So upload, I'm going to admit this had gotten past me entirely until I started, I was listening to an interview a couple of days ago with Greg Daniels. If you don't know who Greg Daniels is, this is Greg Daniels, Greg Daniels, Simpsons writer from the early days of the Simpsons left that show, Tick. went off to do a show called King of the Hill. He was the... Good show. He was the showrunner of that for, you know, years and years and years. Uh, he went off to do a live action show for uh, NBC called The Office, adaptation of the UK I've show. Heard of but, it. You know, they did an American version. You may have heard of it. He then went off and co-created a show called Parks and Recreation. And, you know, he worked on those shows concurrently at the same time. And now he's got a brand new show called Upload. Chris. Here's the thing with Upload, and I'll read the logline for it. A man is able to choose his own afterlife after his untimely death. The thing is, that's not entirely true. So, Chris, as I was saying, I didn't really know what this program was. I'd never even heard of it, really, until I just heard an interview with Greg Daniels, and he was talking about his new Netflix show coming up soon called Space Force. But then he started talking, I've got this other show called Upload, which is coming to Amazon this week. And suddenly I just remembered, oh, wait, I've got Upload sitting in my um, screener pile for Amazon. Let me take a look at this. And I went from someone with zero expectations to suddenly discovering, I think, maybe my favorite show this year. The premise of this show, and it is, it's definitely a weird, unusual show. So it's a sci-fi comedy of sorts. And I would actually say the comedy is actually fairly light on. I thought it'd be a much funnier show because Greg Daniels involved in it. But if you think about maybe more in the framework of something like King of the Hill, which is joke, like a sense of humor certainly inspires the world of King of the Hill, but it's not necessarily filled with jokes per se. No, no, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so- 
Except everything that Rusty Shackleford <laughs> says. So the what? No, no, but I know what yeah, you mean. The world of Upload is basically this. It is, if you think about like our world now and then add like 10 or 15 years of it being corrupted and um, just made a bit more strange by technology. So this is a world of self-driving cars. This is a world where... <clears throat> uh, you might have some young lovers to get together and it's like, do you have protection? And instead of them whipping out some condoms, it's not that. Rather, they get out like a little electronic device, put it on their chests, and it's basically a way of digitally recording consent. So it's like, I I, right. I, I completely consent to this encounter. I completely consent to this encounter. Off they go. Uh, because they've met online uh, through a Tinder-like app, it's not necessarily quite a Tinder-like app as much as it's more like an Uber app. So afterwards, they actually have to rate right. each other. That's yeah. great. Um, and so you've got like little moments like that that sort of punctuate the series. But the show is not necessarily about those moments. It's about sort of broader ideas to do with uh, quality of life. So the general premise of the show is that you've got this young guy who uh, played by, uh, what's his name? Uh, Robbie Ammo. I think that's how you pronounce his name. Uh, he's the brother of the dude that plays Arrow in the popular TV show Arrow. <laughs> But anyway, you've got this guy, he's a young guy, he's like a fit, attractive dude in his like early to mid-twenties. He's involved in a car accident in his self-driving car. His girlfriend, who's a woman who's not really quite right for him, but you know, she's perfectly fine at the moment and he kind of likes her, but you know, he knows that she's not quite the right woman for him. Uh, she's obviously very upset that her uh, boyfriend has died. And because she's a woman who comes from money, uh, she ends up in, like taking his um, essence and puts him into this thing called afterlife. And so what it really is, is, is it called afterlife. I think I just wrote afterlife in my notes. The entire world could be upload. I'm, I'm not entirely too sure. But basically what it is, it's a company that looks after people in the afterlife. So technology's uh, evolved to the point where they can actually take a person's consciousness and have them living a in an afterlife in a perfect world, something that seems like heaven to them. But they're actually able to fully engage with the world that exists in the real world. Did that make sense? Oh, yeah. yeah. How do they get to engage with the so real world? So they do that via telephone calls. Uh, you know, they can send, um, you know, emails. Oh, yeah, so yeah. So it's all right. technologically based. Okay. They just can't actually physically engage with one another. Yeah. yeah. Um, so within this world, basically, the afterlife that he's been put into is the afterlife that's been chosen for him by his girlfriend. So she's got an afterlife which is paid for by her family, which come from money. So the afterlife, his the heaven that he's entered, isn't necessarily really his heaven, but really it's the heaven that this girlfriend's grandmother had because she's the one that initially paid for the afterlife experience. And she's the one that's paying for all the family members to have this experience afterwards as well. So instead of dying, they're gonna to go to the grandma's version of heaven which is a very nice palatial estate to be living on, but it's not really quite ideal for him. And so you've kind of got this thing where this guy feels out of step with everything that's around him. He doesn't necessarily know that he wants to keep on living. In fact, in the first episode, he tries to commit suicide. And following on from that, he then has to regularly see a therapy dog. And because he's in heaven, the therapy <laughs> dog actually talks to him like an actual therapist. So he, he goes Excellent. in for a therapy dog to play with the dog and then suddenly the dog starts talking to him. Now the person who's talking to him by way of the dog is actually a professional therapist who's on, we'll call it earth for want of a better way to phrase it. And so he's there just in a call center dealing with the therapy needs of this guy who's in the afterlife. 
The other co like lead in the show is a woman who works for the company that provides this afterlife experience to people. And so she's living in a world where she doesn't really have very much money at all. Her father's dying and she wants to be able to get his, get him into one of these afterlife scenarios. And so a lot of the uh, show is about the struggles that she faced in a day-to-day world of being a young woman in her twenties, who's out to find love and a relationship and find some stability in her life while also trying to get the uh, amount of, of, um, uh, like uh, like five star ratings from as many people that she's professionally dealing with as possible because the higher she can get her ratings up the more her employers are willing to sponsor her father entering the afterlife so just like these interesting questions cool. of uh, professional like lives engaging and sort of interrupting a person's private life how technology is playing a role in interfering with all of our lives and just the way that we try to connect with each other through technology and how this is really that ultimate step of once you've even stopped existing in this world still being deeply connected and plugged into modern day society and consumerism i've thought about this heaps there's a um you know there's a couple of black mirror episodes that have touched on this kind of stuff but there's also this um uh, there's also this story that um you know the silicon valley billionaires are very much all spending money and um trying to preserve their life as much as possible because they're all pretty you know because there is this feeling or a sense that um we're we're really not very far from being able to upload (laughs) human consciousness into some kind of memory storage device Mm. where things like where ideas very far-fetched sounding ideas like this seem uh all of a sudden become entirely uh, possible but there's also like there's these other ways that people uh deal with or use technology to deal with um death and it got me thinking about how you know I've got I've got a chat group with a, a bunch of my friends that I talk to, and um, you know I've moved around a lot, so I've, uh, I've met people all around. I don't get to see all the people I know. I'm sure, like everybody, you know, I've, I've got a few chat groups now that are really um, um, one of the main ways I connect with um, friends in the outside world. And one day I was uh, thinking about how we surely, you know it was actually in response to somebody that said they didn't have one of those sort of chat groups to chat to other people and they felt lonely and excluded from it. I believe it was, we were making fun of them in a chat group that we had, Dan. (laughs) And, um, but it got me thinking about how we can't be very far away from that, you know, being, um, you know, if, if I was getting a, a a virtual, if I had a virtual chat group with some, um, you know, intelligent, um, software that was communicating <laughs> with me as if I was a person and talking to me about the six things that I like to talk about in the world. I don't think it would be very hard artificial intelligence to come up with, but, um, you know, are we getting to a point where that stuff is going to have a major, um, you know, replace a lot of our actual human interaction. We've already replaced a lot of our in-person human interaction with these devices it doesn't seem like it's much of a stretch to remove the person. You know oh, what no, I mean? Absolutely. That sort of equation. So this is really interesting. And this is what's kind of interesting about this show, which is that it definitely takes a more sort of uh, bio-centered um, attitude of what it's talking about. So it really is working on the idea that it's not that people's consciousness are just sitting on a hard drive somewhere, but you really are following it sort of through his eyes. So you are seeing him as a disassociated yeah. person from his body. But it just sort of establishes these sort of further ideas, which is because it's not even so much just about that as an idea, 
but also because you're also seeing the woman who's on earth and working in the call center dealing with this guy professionally she's called an angel because um you know the people who are in heaven can uh, deal with the angels yes. to you know help them out with issues and whatnot uh because you're de- like seeing the world through her eyes and you're seeing the financial struggle she has and the amount of sort of class um exchanges in a player that she has in all of her relationships because that element's been introduced into it there's this other thing and i've only seen the first two episodes of i think it's like eight or ten episodes i think ten episodes for the Mm -hmm. series i've only seen the first two so i mean this could well play out in it but in the second episode you're introduced to a guy who's effectively like one of the kosh brothers so you know like those wealthy yeah Yeah, 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 guys one of them died like about two years ago now i think but the show sort of supposes mm-hmm. the idea that, you know, he's in this sort of heaven afterlife sort of a space. And if he right. can communicate with the outside world, who's to say that he isn't also impacting politics and the world at large in the same way that he was when he was alive? So mm. we look at the world now where there's yeah, like always a generational change. Like every, you know, 40 or 50 years, there's always a complete shift in the people that are in charge of the world, the gatekeepers that sort of control everything. Mm-hmm. And so the world always takes on like different sort of shapes depending on who's, you know, who has the money. Like essentially this is the sure. the world where that gatekeeping is going to just continue in perpetuity because these people can still play an active role like beyond the grave. And so it's just a really Bezos. interesting idea. <laughs> Bezos in death will still be just like, even once he's died, will still be controlling the entire world's workforce. And yeah, pretty much. Making making them um, have do their toilet breaks in bottles and but stuff. But the irony is um, that if it wasn't for Bezos, we wouldn't have this TV show. So <laughs> maybe Bezos is for oh, the greater yeah. good. Well, that, it wasn't a coincidence that I mentioned it. <laughs> uh, this sounds amazing. Um, I, I'm a bit disappointed that it's not just going to be another laugh fest, Greg Daniels style. Um, because I really need another one of them in my life. One of my friends was having a go at me the other day and sent me a message saying, uh, you're probably just watching The Office or something like that. And, um, and he just replied back I was saying, watching The yeah. Office, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> I was on my third episode for the What's night. The problem? Um, I've seen it a lot. I am trying to branch out and watch some other things. But, you know, I mean, I just all, all of those shows you mentioned are some of my favourite shows. I've gone on the record to say King of the Hill is my favourite television show of all time. So... Um, he's obviously had a massive part in a bunch of that stuff, so I can't can't be more um, excited about. Look, this I mean, calling King of the Hill your favourite TV show of all time is a pretty big statement when there's shows like The A Team around. <laughs> I know, I know, and I do love The A Team, mm. and uh, and and also it's always sunny in Philadelphia. But yeah, so but yes, no, that's my favourite show. Yeah. Of all time. So Sorry. upload uh, begins this weekend on Amazon Prime. Uh, I went into it with zero expectation. And from the first episode, I think it's a little bit sort of um, shaky on its feet. But once you start watching the second episode and realize the much deeper ideas that the show is actually really sort of moving towards, it's really fascinating seeing a guy whose career has been based on creating some, you know, um, entertainment comedies, uh, playing with something which has got such uh, deep resonant themes to what's going on right now. And also, you know, just sort of these sort of very broad sci-fi concepts. Let's let's revisit this one as a as a real thing um, at the end of the season and talk about it because I think that's something that I would very much at want the to end do. of the season. Look at you, old man, with the idea that that might be ten weeks away. Literally, the end of the season's like day one <laughs> when it comes out. Yeah, yeah, right. It all comes out. Well, yes, let's do it as quick as, as, as at the end of us watching the season. Yeah, I'd be very curious to see uh, what you yeah. think of it. Smart guy. Uh, let's see how smart you are. <laughs> Now, when it's time for the TV Masters 
always be watching quiz sponsored by philip morris Jeopardy, sponsored by the philip morris company um you've got my address you know where to send the product <laughs> uh okay um do we have do we have to disclaim no no we don't have to no say that's a joke we're not we're not um, doing that unless they actually do want to sponsor us in which case give us a call <laughs> <laughs> we're not above this I need to, I'm just trying to organize my screen in a way so I can okay. see the questions so people, and, and the lack of bafflement on your face. Every podcast is somebody's first podcast. So something that we're doing over the next however many weeks is we're doing a very quick quiz, 10 questions at the end of every episode. And it's basically by the end of it, each of us will have answered 50 questions. And from that, one of us will be reigning supreme as the TV master. Given you a few sitters here and a few um, that you'll definitely not be able to answer, yeah. and the, 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 there's a bit of a mystery for some. Uh, we others. should say every week is themed entirely differently. So uh, we've had um, what was the first week? It was it was one you did for me. It was about show run, no show, show creators. creators. Uh, we did something um, about and you picked all my favourite shows, and I couldn't name <laughs> any of the creators except for three. Uh, we also did uh, rap star like rap guest stars in. TV shows. Yes. Um, last week we looked at the work of Seth Green over the years. So this is a very broad That's um, right. range of quiz questions. So I'm fascinated, Chris. What is the subject matter this week? This is a subject that uh, won't come as a total shock because it's something that's close to both of our hearts. But the questions I've prepared <laughs> the for the work you of Denise Richards, uh, <laughs> famous dogs from television and movies. Um, part one, I reckon, because we could probably stretch this out for a few weeks. But here's my first 10 questions for okay. you. About I hope it. this isn't too rough on me. It's <laughs> <laughs> late. Um, all right, here we go. Um, in the television program Family Guy, what is the name of Brian Griffith's mother? Oh, gosh. Uh, here's the thing. I've never seen more than one or two episodes of Family Guy. So I could have named him as Brian, but that's about it. Uh, what's the mother? She's called Biscuit. Ah, Biscuit. Gorgeous name. Of course, Biscuit. Um, that, that, um, that's not one of the easy ones. Um, I should certainly hope not. Uh, in the film of the same name, what was the name of John Wick's first murdered dog? Oh, gosh. I mean, I've seen that film a whole bunch of times and I, I don't know. You no. don't know? It's, da it's Daisy. Oh. Ding, ding, ding. Do we need to give more people more time to guess? No, no, people are fine. Um, in the television uh, series Lassie and the movies that followed from 1954 to 1973... <laughs> There was over 500 episodes produced. And 600 dogs. Um, how many lassies, how many different dogs played lassie oh, during that period? That's a good question. I'm going to say six dogs. <laughs> that is correct. Yes. Are you insane? Are you crazy? <laughs> that is the weirdest correct guess you no, can No, I actually have. feel that I've come across that trivia before. Um... I had to dig a bit deep for that. There was some conjecture about which dog, which actually counted as actual lassies. But uh, um, interestingly, mm. you probably know this already. All descended from the same lassie. Oh, I didn't know that. And the original lassie was a uh, was a girl dog, but subsequent lassies were boy dogs playing girl dogs. Wow, very progressive. Sort. Of. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, okay. In the Simpsons, televisions of the Simpsons. Mm. What medical condition did the eventual owner of Laddie the dog suffer from 
And what did he claim was his treatment for his medical condition? I was like glycoma. Or I'll give you glycoma. He's blind. Yeah. Uh, and obviously, I believe it was the marijuana. <laughs> I like no one will ever know that. Uh, hand gesture you did then and realize how completely inappropriate it is for marijuana but um that was fantastic uh correct answer okay we're tearing is it through I, um <laughs> is it because i was waving my joints around like groucho Marx? <laughs> it was a bit more groucho i mm. thought yeah that's fine i'm not here to judge um what breed of dog is scooby-doo oh it's a great dane yes ding 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 yeah I need to get some sound effects. Don't and that's Scooby-Doo from the TV pants. series and upcoming movie. Yeah, the new movie Scooby. That looks pretty good. Now Scoob. Scoob. Yeah, even better. <laughs> hey, there's that symbol again. Um, what was the name of the family dog in the Jetsons? Oh, that was Astro. Yes. Yeah. I'm excited for you getting them it's, right. It's about time we this got some answers. Qu- I don't reckon I'll ever be able to beat this question. The dog actor who played Comet in the TV series Full House was also the star of which 1997 film? And it wasn't Starship I believe you're talking about the film Air Bud. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not even shocked that you knew that. Um, I feel like these other ones are going to just be sitters now. you got a couple of my hard ones out of the right. Okay. Which 1980 film saw Chevy Chase inhabit the body of a dog after his untimely death to solve his own murder? Ooh, this is good. I've seen this movie. I, mm, I can picture the dog. I, I, I'm not sure. What's the name of the film? <laughs> the film's called um, Oh Heavenly Dog. Ah, yeah, yeah. Um, for some reason, when I was a kid, I watched this movie a lot. It must have been taped off TV or something like that and had a VHS. I, I think I saw it uh, once and, and dismissed the film entirely. <laughs> I tried watching it recently as part of a grand scheme to watch every Chevy Chase movie, which completely died at this Chevy Chase's third movie, Oh Heavenly Dog, which was unwatchable. Uh, unfortunately, I had very fond memories. Um, two, two questions to go down. You're doing great. I think you've got like seven or something. No, six. Six. I don't know. I'll do the math what later. Was the na- what was the name of the dog who played Eddie in Frasier? That Frasier's? was Moose. Actually, sorry, there were two oh, dogs. Man. There was Moose and oh. Moose Two. Is that right? I think you get. I think you're going to get extra it's points definitely for Moose. that. I'll have to look it up. Definitely yeah, Moose. Definitely Moose uh, was the okay, here's one. the last question. Yeah. Um, got a bit of Australian flavour in this one. Um, I was, and it's not about Bob Morrison. Um, Disappointing. Aunt Trixie Healer. <laughs> Aunt Trixie Healer in TV's Bluey, mm. ABC's Bluey is played by which X-Triple-J host? Ooh, this is a good one. I don't know. I don't think I'm actually familiar with that character having only seen two or three Blueys um, so far. Look, my heart wants to say that it's Rosie Beaton. So has this person been a double J announcer? Yes. Okay. Could this person be Zanro? It's Mifwahurst. Ah, you're so close. It was 50-50. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You're it was 50-50. Right I was like <laughs> definitely. I was picturing the, the coin. <laughs> um, I'm glad you got one more wrong because that'll still give me a chance next week. Well done, Dan. I'm gonna call yeah, I'm pretty sure that's six, maybe six point five if you get the extra point for um Moose. Now I'd like to hear uh how, how did you rate my questions? Look, they were pretty good. Yeah, it's it better yeah. than better than last week, I thought. Better yeah. than my last attempt. 
Um, the one I'm most impressed that you knew the answer for, other than guessing the Lassie one. But um, I was I was blown away by the um, the revelation in doing my research that Comet from Full House was, was also Air Bud. Bud. <laughs> Made me want to watch Air Bud again. I tell you what, pretty excited about that. Maybe 1997 was just the peak year for films. Maybe every film that came out that year was amazing. That's it. People talk up 1999, but 97 is definitely where it's at. It was at least getting a run up for 1999. Yeah. Hey, Chris, I think we hit the end of the podcast. Yes, I think we have. I've enjoyed it, Dan. Thanks for um, having a big chat with me about television. Yeah, look, people have to do it. And I'm certainly willing to step up. I've been like hassling the dude that delivers parcels here once a week um, to talk to me about TV shows. He's not into it. What? not interested in it at all. Tell us to listen to the podcast. Mate, anyway. What have you been watching, mate? He's like, I'm just doing my job. <laughs> Leave me alone. Goddamn like, Ozpost. Hey, if you're a person who works for Australia Post, you might want to like spend your time in a mail delivery van reading emails. And if that's the case, check out the Always Be Watching daily newsletter. It's filled with news stories and bits of um, ephemera. I don't know. It sure is. That was a crazy segue. <laughs> If you're an Australian post worker in your van, read some emails. Look, I'm after a very specific no, niche I audience. It. I liked it. It was very good. Because when we're, um, when we're talking to Philip Morris about sponsoring the podcast, they're going to want to know who the audience is. And if we can say very specifically exactly who the demo is, like it sounds like put some real research into it. Trav from Australia Post. Yeah. This parcels. If people like the newsletter, leave a, uh, if people like the newsletter, subscribe or something. I didn't really yes. quite into this properly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Forward it to your friends. That's what you say to me, and that's good advice. Forward I do it to that. your friends. If they like TV and screen stuff, they'll love it. Uh, if you like this podcast, tell your friends about it because they may also love it. Maybe they just like dog-related trivia. Who knows? This has been Always Be Watching. My name's Dan Barrett, joined by... Chris Yates. Yeah, that was a test for you. <laughs> got that, I got that one right. <laughs> Next week, it's just Chris Yates trivia. <laughs> I look forward to that, of course, because it'll be about me and to talking to you more um, about the things we've watched. Indeed. And this week, we talked about Starship Troopers, available now from your local video store. Yes. <laughs> or as if they're still around. <laughs> uh, we talked about the new Amazon show Upload. We talked about the new um, Hulu slash BBC3 slash Stan in Australia um, series called Normal People. And also, Chris, what was the other thing we talked we about? We talked about the Beastie, Beastie Boys. Boys story on Apple TV. Indeed. Anyway, folks, it has been a pleasure talking about all four of those things. We're back next week to talk about more stuff and may or may not involve Robocop. <laughs> I'm definitely watching Robocop right now. <laughs> <laughs>